And you can grab a seat. Good morning. Uh, good to be with you this morning. If you are new here, uh, we're in the series Walking Through the Book of Micah, and this morning we're in Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3, so you can make your way there uh, in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you grabbed one of those black hardback ones on the way in, it's on page 729 uh, is where we're going to be in that Bible, and keep that Bible. That's our gift to you uh, as a church. Now, it, it feels like uh, every week brings a new story about how somebody in church leadership has uh, used their position and their power and has abused it to cause harm to people uh, in the church. We've had movies like uh, Spotlight centered on talking about the abuses of the Catholic Church in Boston. We've had podcasts like The Rise and Fall uh, of Mars Hill, and we've had uh, a ton of docuseries lately about uh, Hillsong Church and Jerry Falwell and Liberty University and now uh, Bill Gothard and the Duggars. The Southern Baptist Convention is still uh, investigating and talking through how to put abuse reforms into place after uh, the revealing of really kind of a pretty wide-scale uh, uh, cases of abuse and cases of abuse cover-up by pastors in the denomination. Uh, the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, is having to deal with their own cases of abuse and uh, pastoral abuse of power as well. The Anglican Church uh, in North America has had cases like this pop up uh, over the past couple of years. Abuse of power and position can be found across all types of churches and all types of denominations, and it really feels like we're kind of at a reckoning moment. And whether it's just happening more often now or whether it's just easy for, easier for it to come to light, uh, more of it definitely is coming to light. And, and while I think some of that coverage can be a little bit unfortunate, I think it's really easy for us to sensationalize other people's failures and just treat them as entertainment and not really reflect ourselves uh, on what this might say about us. For example, I was reading last night, Shiny Happy People, uh, is Amazon's biggest docuseries ever. It had more viewers and it has gotten more Amazon Prime subscriptions than any documentary they've ever done uh, in the history of their streaming service. And so I think that can be a little bit unfortunate. But, but on the whole, uh, I think we should be really grateful that more cases of uh, pastoral abuse and abuse of power and position are coming to light because uh, God really cares about how those who lead in His church and claim His name, how they steward the power and position that He has given them. Uh, and, and I think this being at really the front of our kind of cultural consciousness as a society really gives us the opportunity as Christians to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing with power? How are we stewarding the power that God has given uh, to us? In the last four chapters of the book of Micah, Micah is going to make a shift to talking uh, much more about the coming hope of salvation than judgment. But before he does that, he's got one more big area uh, of sin in the people of God that he wants to address, and that's the abuse of power. Uh, in chapter 1, he showed us how all of us are prone to idolatry, to turn away from God and look to other things and try to make those things uh, be God for us. In chapter 2, he showed us how that leads us to not just turn away from God, it leads us to turn away from our neighbor. It leads us into coveting uh, and oppression of our neighbor. Here in chapter 3, Micah is going to show us how that has led the leaders of God's people to abuse their position and power uh, to harm the people of God that they are supposed to be leading. 
And, and while this passage is focused specifically on the leaders of God's people, I, I think it will be wise for all of us to consider uh, what this text is saying about what we do with the power that God has given us, what it looks like to abuse that power, and what it looks like to repent. And so let's look at this together. Micah chapter 3, we're going to read through uh, the entire chapter, starting in verse 1. The Word of God to us today speaks to us like this. It says, And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who builds Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Pray for God's help on our time together this morning. Father, um, would you help us to see the ways where this description of the leaders of your people who have corrupted and abused their position and their authority, would you help us to see the ways that, that that's actually describing us? Would you help us to see the ways where we've fallen short and we've grasped for power and control and we've sinned in these areas. As you said of Micah, that he was filled with the Spirit to declare to your people their transgression and sin. Would you help us see our transgression and sin so that we might turn from it and run to you for healing? God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that would believe and know. Help us to see the glory of Jesus and how the way he stewards power so much more beautiful and compelling and life-giving than the ways that we so often do. Help us in that. I pray that you would in your name. Amen. And so Micah turns to the leaders and he begins to indict them for the ways that they've sinned and the ways they've abused their power. And when he says, is it not for you to know justice, he's using no in the way the Bible often uses the word no, in the sense of 
kind of intimate, close to you sort of knowledge. Think when the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived and bore a child. Or Psalm 1 when it says the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is an intimate sort of knowledge. God is saying you guys are the ones who are supposed to know justice, to love justice, and be passionate about seeing it carried out. This is why God made you a leader. This is why God has given you the position that you have so that you could administer justice and establish justice for His people, but, but they're doing the exact opposite of that. And Micah 3 gives us a really good kind of introductory definition of justice. Justice is loving what is good and hating what is evil. Uh, and a really good definition I read of this, of how that kind of plays out in practice, is that justice is doing what is right and righting what is wrong. Justice is loving good. It's hating evil. And it's working to see good established and evil judged and removed in a society. But instead of doing that, these leaders of God's people they hate good. They love evil. They detest justice. They make every straight path crooked. They're doing everything they can to establish more justice and more evil in the land. And Micah gives us a, a real graphic description of how that plays out for the people that they are supposed to be leading. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God calls the leaders of His people shepherds. And He says they are shepherds who feed themselves instead of feeding the sheep. That they feed on the sheep instead of caring for them and guiding them and protecting them like they're supposed to. Uh, and Micah gives us a real graphic metaphor of what that looks like here, does he not? Uh, now this is a metaphor. The leaders of Israel aren't, aren't literally cannibals. They're not literally flaying the skin off of God's people, cutting them up into pieces and boiling them in a pot. This is a, it's a metaphor, but we use metaphors to communicate truth more powerfully and vividly than just kind of a simple, straightforward sentence would get across. You know, it's one thing for Micah to say, you guys are bad leaders who abuse your power, and so you abuse the people who are under you. Uh, it communicates much more vividly and powerfully for him to say, when you abuse the power and the position that God has given you, you cannibalize the people under you. You flay their skin from off their bones. You cut them into pieces and you boil them in a pot. Because this is what abuse of power feels like to those who are being abused by it. If, if we're going to see this, I think we've got to get a few definitions in place. First, power. What is power? Power is the ability and the authority to influence people towards something. And you can get power, you can come across power in different ways. For some of us, we have power because of a position that we've been given, whether a boss or a pastor or a parent or some other leadership type of position. For others of us, uh, we have power because of our character. People have seen over time that we're trustworthy, and so they trust us, they listen to us, and they, by and large, follow what we have to say. Uh, others of us can gain power through being really charismatic. People are just drawn to us and they want to follow us and do what we say because our personalities uh, and our speech is so magnetic and it's so persuasive that it just can't help uh, but draw people to us. And, and so sometimes it's a combination of all three of those things. And so having power in and of itself is not bad and, and all of us are going to have some measure of power, some ability to influence people and situations because of 
the position that we have or the character that we have or the personality uh, that we have in our persuasiveness. And so we all have power, and because we are all sinners, that means we all have the capability of corrupting our power and twisting our power and abusing the power that God has given us. And so what is abuse of power? Well, first, a few things it is not. First, uh, abuse of power is not someone in a position of leadership making a decision that you disagree with. Uh, they could have made a wrong decision, or you could be wrong, but, but even if they did make a wrong decision, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're abusing their power. They could have just made a wrong decision. Two, it's also in a work context, it's not consequences for poor job performance. Uh, if you're not doing your job and you're repeatedly coached and encouraged to do better and you don't do better and you get fired for that, your supervisor did not abuse their power over you, you just didn't do your job. Uh, it's also not being commanded or dictated to do something in a work context. That's not abuse of power either. And so if it's not that, what is it? Well, power is given to you by God to serve and bless and benefit and cause the flourishing of those who are under your leadership. And so, if you use the power that God has given you to serve and build up yourself instead of benefiting those you lead, you're abusing your power. And that, that means there's obviously different levels of abuse of power. Some are more damaging than others, but this is a real simple, straightforward way for us to keep it in our heads. If I take the power and privilege and position that God has given me and I use it to serve and bless myself instead of serving others, I'm abusing the power that God has given me. Abuse of power is when you manipulate, you oppress, you coerce, you threaten, or you intimidate those who are beneath you, uh, who serve you, into serving you and doing what will benefit and build you up. And when leaders abuse their power like this, uh, it feels like what Micah describes pretty graphically here in verses 2 and 3. I mean, it is all-consuming, and it, it really does feel like you're being eaten alive. Because this leader has threatened you often enough, whether it's explicitly or implicitly, so that you know you've got to walk on eggshells just right uh, to make sure that you don't set them off and earn their wrath again. You know that they've got the authority to get you fired or ruin your reputation or cut you out of the community, like the only community uh, that you have, and so you constantly worry about how they're going to receive a decision you make or how they're going to receive something you say. You know you really can't voice any sort of disagreement if you work for them. You spend so much of your time at work making sure you're doing the right things to pacify them and keep them happy. And every day you dread going to work because work just brings new fears about what you might do wrong and what might happen if they get set off and you don't make them happy. I've known people who have walked through this and it put them in a season of depression where they, they struggle to get out of bed. They struggle to have any sort of joy. They struggle to even do things like be able to just eat and exercise struggle to think about anything else because this abuse of power that they were experiencing became all-consuming. Because again, this leader has the power to either talk to you, talk about you to others, or make decisions that would get you fired, ruin your reputation, or ostracize you from your community and from all of your friends. 
and spiritual abuse, abuse of power coming from a church leader, it just amplifies this. It makes it even worse because now that brings God into the equation. When a spiritual leader abuses their power over you, you can really easily start to feel like God blesses off on this abuse and God blesses off on the way that they are treating you because this leader has chapter and verse that they can try to quote to try to justify what they're doing to you. And it feels like they're supposed to be a representative of God to you. I'm going to borrow a little bit from Michael Kruger here. He's got a really helpful series of blog posts and, and a book that I assume on, on spiritual abuse that I assume is really helpful uh, as well. But, but first, a few things spiritual abuse is not. Uh, spiritual abuse is not when a spiritual leader calls out sin in your life or points at the Bible and says, uh, the Bible says this thing is sinful. Uh, they, they could be wrong, and it could be, but, but in and of itself, just calling out sin in your life is not spiritually abusive. Church discipline is also not spiritual abuse. Now, it can absolutely be done in a spiritually abusive way, but in and of itself, church discipline is not spiritually abusive. Spiritual abuse is not, also not every time a leader sins or does something wrong. Spiritual abuse is related to abuse of power. Think back to the definition of abuse of power we just talked about and put God into that equation. 1 Peter 5, verse 3 says that elders, pastors, are not to domineer over those in their charge, but are instead to be examples to the flock. Domineering is what it looks like to spiritually abuse. Let me read this definition from Michael Kruger because I think it's just helpful. He says this, Spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader, such as a pastor, elder, or head of a Christian organization, wields his position of spiritual authority in such a way that he manipulates, domineers, bullies, and intimidates those under him as a means of maintaining his own power and control, even if he is convinced he is seeking biblical and kingdom-related goals. This is what the leaders are doing here in Micah. Look at verse 5. It says, that they tell you peace when you give them something to eat, but they declare war on you when you don't put anything into their mouths. What that means is that if you scratch their back, they'll scratch yours. If you give them enough money and you serve them well enough, they'll preach a prosperity gospel to you. They'll say everything in your life is going to go well, but if you don't serve them well enough, you don't give them enough money, they'll harass you and condemn you. This is what spiritual abuse looks like. If the spiritual leader doesn't feel like you're serving them well enough and being compliant enough, they will twist and distort Scripture and doctrine and use it like a club to harass you and condemn and oppress and manipulate you into submitting to them. And spiritual abuse is so cannibalizing because, again, this person's in a position of spiritual authority, so it feels like they have the authority of God behind them to abuse and manipulate you like this. It's really easy to feel like this is, this is actually how God feels about you too. This is what God would want in this situation. It's been incredibly sad to watch these documentaries and listen to these podcasts and hear testimony after testimony of people who used to be in that church but who are now saying, I, yeah, I, I struggle to even read my Bible. I, I don't go to church anymore. I don't believe in God because of the spiritual abuse and manipulation uh, that they experience. Like, Micah's description is not too far off. This can absolutely wreck and cannibalize someone's entire faith and life. 
And it so deeply matters that we get this right. It so deeply matters that we use our power to serve others instead of ourselves. And listen, as a partner in this church, you have a responsibility to help prevent spiritual abuse, to help guard the doctrine and the culture of this church. God has given you, not the elders, He's given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's given you the authority to ensure that gospel doctrine is preached here and gospel culture is lived out. Yes, you've set us apart as leaders, but that does not do away with your authority and responsibility to ensure that the gospel is guarded and people are served. This is not just our church. This is your church. We work together to make sure that this happens, and so I'm asking you to help us in this. It would not be healthy for us to develop a culture of suspicion where you don't ever trust and and you just question everything that we say and do as leaders, but it would also not be healthy for us to develop a culture of blind trust where you just assume that everything that comes out of our mouths and every decision we make comes stamped with the authority of God behind it. Because we are sinners. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to get things wrong. We are going to sin. We have the capacity to abuse the power and position that God has given us. And so if we fail to teach the gospel, or we start emphasizing things more than the gospel, if we start preaching in a way that's contrary to God's Word, if one or multiple of us starts failing to live up to the qualifications that are laid out for us in Scripture, and bring that concern forward at a partner meeting or in a conversation with us. If you start to feel like what's coming out of this doesn't really feel like it's coming from this, if something here doesn't pass the smell test, like don't stuff that impulse down. Bring that concern forward. It is so important that we walk faithfully together in this as a church, ultimately because God cares about this. God hates when leaders who claim His name abuse their power and authority in his name. And so look at what he promises to do to these leaders. He says in verse 4, when they cry out to him, he's going to close his ears to them. He's not going to listen to them. He'll turn his face away from them. He's going to go radio silent on them. Then in verses 6 and 7, he says he's going to turn out the lights on them. They'll get nothing from him. There'll be no answer from God. He he will keep he will cut off access to his word. He will cut off them from understanding it. He is going to judge them. Uh, because of the ways that they have corrupted His Word and misrepresented Him to His people. And Micah circles back to this in verse 9, and he says, all these leaders, they hate justice. They pervert it every time they get the chance. And, and they just work for a price. Their integrity can be bought for a price, and they only serve for the money. They're all driven by their love of money. They're so completely opposed to God, yet they have the gall to say... Nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. The Lord's among us. We've got the temple. The Lord is blessing us. He's present with us. He's right here. And so Micah says because of that, God is going to allow Jerusalem to be judged. Zion, the city of Jerusalem, will be turned over and leveled like a plowed field. He's going to make Jerusalem like a garbage dump. And the temple, that's what Micah means when he says the mountain of the house the, the place where the temple was is just going to look like a hill that was overgrown with weeds. 
these leaders are trusting in the signs of God's presence and blessing while they live lives that are completely opposed to His Word and completely oppress His people. And so God's going to allow an enemy nation to come in and destroy the temple, destroy the signs of His presence and His blessing so that these leaders would have to deal with their sin and evil and they would be forced to have to repent for that. And this is good news. This gives us the hope that, that the, the abuse of power and position that was going on in Micah's day, that God judged this, it gives us hope that God's going to do the same for us. That abuse of power and position and privilege in God's name will not go unpunished. God will see to it that it's judged. And then in contrast to these unfaithful leaders, look at the picture of faithful leadership that Micah gives of his own ministry uh, in verse 8. He says he is filled with power. He's filled with justice and might. He's filled with the Spirit of God to do what? To declare to the people of God their transgression and their sin. His preaching is empowered by the Spirit to help the people of God see where they've turned away from God, where they're walking in rebellion, and where they need to repent. And again, we talked about this last week, but this is good news. It is good news. It is good for us to hear the parts of God's Word that expose our sin that we're so good at covering up. It is good for us. For us to see how good the good news actually is, we have to first see the bad news. A couple years ago, during Thanksgiving week, uh, out of nowhere, I developed this like awful case of full-body hives. Uh, Monday night of that week, Braylon and I were just uh, sitting on the couch watching a movie, and it was one of those things where all of a sudden you realize, like, I'm really itchy, and I've been scratching my arms a lot. And so I, I took my hoodie off and saw that my arms and my stomach were just covered in hives. Uh, and so I took some medicine, I put some aloe vera or whatever on it, and uh, went to bed and thought, you know, maybe that will fix it. I'll be better in the morning. And when I woke up in the next morning, the hives were still there, but they were a little bit better. And so I figured I would go to work. But uh, almost immediately after going to work, they just flared up real bad. And then for like the next 48 hours straight, uh, it was just miserable uh, full-body hives everywhere. They were all over my body, but the flare-ups would migrate to different parts of my body, just some extra pain for me. And so uh, at different times, they'd be on my back, and then they'd be on my legs, and then it would flare up on my neck and my face and my forehead. And no matter what I tried, I could not uh, do anything to fix them or make them go down. I mean, I tried ice baths, tried ice packs, tried lotion, tried medicine, you name it. Uh, none of it uh, was, going, was fixing uh, these hives. And I'm a man, so you, you know what that means. Uh, I'll be a massive diva at the first sign of a cold. I will be a big old baby uh, with the mildest case of the man flu. But there's just a part of male pride that means you refuse to go to the doctor until you are absolutely on your deathbed. And so I did this. I mean, I just suffered like miserable pain, couldn't sleep, couldn't get relief, could not stop itching for two solid days. Uh, and then finally, Thanksgiving morning, I woke up and it was even worse than it had been. And so I started to get worried my throat might close up, uh, went to the urgent care, uh, and they gave me medicine uh, and a shot that started working almost immediately and was able to eat dinner that night. And then by Saturday of that week, all the hives were gone. 
If I had just had a little bit of humility to admit that, that I needed the doctor's help in this, I could have suffered a whole lot less. Those hives could have been gone a whole lot earlier. Uh, but I just had every excuse in the book as to why I can actually fix this on my own. The over-the-counter stuff, that's what they would give me anyways. I can do this. Uh, they're going to get better. It'll be okay when I wake up in the morning. Well, so often we operate in the exact same way when it comes to our sin. So often God reveals an area of sin in our lives and the way it's damaging us and the way it's damaging others. But we come up with every excuse in the book as to ways we can play it down and minimize it and act like, yeah, that's really not that bad. It's really not hurting anybody. It's really not that big of a deal. But Micah says his preaching is empowered by the Spirit to help us see our sin, to not let us have that excuse to downplay it and minimize it, to keep holding up the mirror of God's Word so that we can't turn away from it, we can't wiggle out from under it to see, no, our sin really is this bad and we really do need healing and we really can't help ourselves. This is what Micah is doing. Micah is trying to show us this passage really is not talking about somebody else. All of us are tempted to abuse our power and cannibalize those that we lead. And so while this text is specifically about leaders, it, it would be wise for all of us to consider if it's describing us because all of us have a measure of power and influence and authority. You've got influence somewhere, and we can't do away with power and authority. All of us are going to have it in some measure or another, and so we need to make sure that we are stewarding it in a way that honors Jesus. And so I want you to ask yourself the questions that this text is asking of you. Can your integrity be bought? Is there a price, whether that price is more money, or more status, or more respect, or more recognition, or a better position that will get you to compromise your convictions to get to what you want. Another question, do you cannibalize the people under you? Would your subordinates at work, if they felt the freedom to, would they describe your leadership in this way? Would your children, have you cultivated a culture of fear and submission in your workplace, in your home? Do your subordinates ever feel the freedom to disagree with you? Is your primary motivation in life making sure that people respect you? Are you willing to fudge the facts and manipulate the discussion if it means that the discussion is going to go your way? Does a decision ever not go your way? Do you ever lose? Do you operate off of a do what I say and not what I do sort of policy? Can anyone under you challenge you or correct you and you not explain it away as to why they're actually wrong and you're actually right? Do you make people take responsibility for their mistakes and poor decisions while you never take responsibility for yours? When's the last time you admitted that you've made a mistake or you made a bad decision or you sinned and got something wrong? Maybe the best question to answer how you're stewarding your power. How do you treat the people you feel like can't do anything for you? The people you feel like can't offer any benefit to you? The people you feel like can't help you get ahead, can't advance your social standing, can't improve your reputation, can't help you get a promotion, uh, can't get you more respect? 
how do you treat them? How you treat those people reveals everything you need to know about how you're stewarding your power, whether you're stewarding it in the way that Jesus would have you to bless and build up and serve those who are under your leadership or, or whether you're perverting it and using it to serve yourself. And, and I think if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we would admit that at, that indicts all of us, does it not? All of us, in some way or another, have abused the power that God has given us. All of us, at one time or another, have used our power to serve and bless others instead of blessing ourselves. All of us, at one time or another, have manipulated people and situations to make sure that we come out on top. All of us have treated people we feel like can't do anything for us like they can't do anything for us. And abuse of power, it's so insidious, it's so hard to see, it's rooted so deep in us, and it just starts so slowly, one small insignificant decision after another where you just do it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and you don't even realize you're doing it. Just like when you're at the ocean and you're in the ocean, you look up and you realize you're suddenly 50 yards away from the beach because the tide has been pulling you out. And left to ourselves, we're not going to be able to stop doing this. We'll continue to cannibalize others uh, and oppress people because it benefits us, because it helps us. And again, the solution's not to just do away with all power and authority. You can't do that. People are going to have it. Something else has to happen. See, we love having power and control and are so prone to abuse it because that's how you get ahead in our world. But have you ever noticed that's not actually the stories that we celebrate as a culture? Have you noticed that the, the, why do you think the plot of almost every action movie is about the hero sacrificing himself or herself, risking their lives for the good of others? Why is the villain almost always the one who's using their power to oppress and dominate and who's trying to get more power so that they can oppress people even more? And the the reason why our stories are told this way and the reason why that story resonates with us so deeply, the reason why we don't actually celebrate oppressive leaders as heroes, the reasons why we continue to watch these new movies, even though it's really the same story, is because this is the story that's at the heart of the universe. At the heart of the universe is not a God who uses His power to dominate and oppress us, but a God who gives up His power and serves so that He can bring rebels back to Him. A God who His power is demonstrated uh, not in a palace, but on a cross. See, Jesus is God. He's the Creator of the world who is all-powerful. But Philippians 2 tells us that in becoming a man, He emptied Himself. He made Himself nothing. The Creator of the universe, as a man, went about poor and hungry and homeless. He tells us in the Gospels he had nowhere to lay his head. And when Jesus came to earth, he did not come to reign in the halls of a palace, but to die a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus, the God who created the entire universe, allowed the Roman soldiers that he created to strip him and beat him and nail him to a cross. He could have called thousands of angels to his defense, but instead he freely gave up his life and power and died on the cross. 
at the center of the universe is the reality that the way God conquers our sin and accomplishes our salvation is through death and what looks like weakness. 1 Corinthians 1 says that Jesus crucified is the power and wisdom of God even when it looks like weakness and foolishness to the world. And so if we are going to be a people who follow Jesus, if we are going to be a people who walk after Him, if we're going to follow a God whose power is demonstrated in giving up His power on the cross to serve and bless others, then we can't be a people who grasp for more power and control to benefit ourselves. Power is a gift. It's an incredible gift when it's used rightly because that gives you the capacity to help a lot of people flourish. But left to ourselves, we will abuse our power. We cannot help it. We will look to power and control to give us what power and control cannot give us, meaning in a sense of security, and we will cannibalize others in the pursuit of more of it. Only the cross can break our addiction to power because only the cross can give us what power can't. The people who best use authority and power are the people who don't need authority and power, who aren't obsessed with authority and power, who aren't clinging to authority and power, who aren't looking for authority and power because they don't look to authority and power to give them what can only be found and what they already have in God's love. Like if you get the Gospel, that will be you. You won't need authority and power to give you a sense of validation and significance. You'll already have that in God's love. So you'll be freed up to use the power God gives you to bless and benefit and serve others. People under your leadership will flourish instead of wilt because you'll create a culture of love and service instead of oppressive grabs for power. David, in 2 Samuel 23, he says that the one who rules justly in the fear of God is like the sun dawning on a beautiful cloudless morning that refreshes and energizes you. It's like the rain giving life to the ground. You, you will cause people all around you to flourish under your leadership. And so the way forward is not to abandon all power. The way forward is to use power as people who don't need power. To use power in the way that Jesus uses power. To use power not in the service of domination and oppression and control, but in the service of love. Let me pray that we would be a people that do that. God, help us to do so. Help us to be a people who are characterized by what the world would call weakness and foolishness and falling behind. Help us to believe that you when you say that if we want to be great, if we want to be first of all, then we have to be last of all and the servant of all. Help us to believe that you came not to be served but to serve, to give your life as a ransom for many. Help us to follow you in that. God, please help us. The ways that we cling to power and authority are so insidious, are rooted so deeply in us. And it's so hard to even be aware when we're doing it. So would you help us? Would you help us? Would you give us brothers and sisters here in the church to lovingly correct us and challenge us when they see us using our power in this way? Would you give us hearts that are quick to want to be corrected, that are teachable, that don't think we've figured it all out, 
God, would you help us to be a people who are characterized by love and service rather than oppression, domineering. God, help us. We, we don't want the picture of Micah 3, the, the cannibalizing of people to be the fruit of what comes out of our life together as a church. So would you help us to avoid that? Would you change us with the good news of the gospel to be a people who love you and trust you rather than love and trust power and control? I pray that you would. In your name, amen.